Hello and welcome to Sound on Sight's Game of Thrones podcast. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Mike Waldman. And this week, uh, this is what, two in a row for you, Simon? uh, Once again, Simon Howell joining us? Uh, Well, no, I wasn't there last week. Ah, sorry. See, it's wishful thinking, clearly. I'm just always in your brain. Because we just, we talk too frequently. This is what happens when you have multiple podcasts together. That's right. Uh, No, I was not present for last week's episode, but I am here for the Prince of Winterfell. The antepenultimate episode. Good word. So, what did you think of the antepenultimate episode? I thought it kind of sucked, actually. Uh, No, that's too harsh. Um, There hasn't really been an episode since the early run of the show that I would say actively was bad television, but this was easily my least favorite of the season. It really felt like we were treading water, and sorry, that's a horrible pun, uh, in anticipation of next week's Smorgasbord. Um, it's, we, I mean, we visited like we've been doing for the last few episodes. We visited just about every major sort of scene, a set of characters that we could, but in a, in a lot of cases, not a lot happened, uh, with most of them and not just the usual offenders. There were a couple of good scenes, basically all of which belong to Tyrion, which we'll get to, I'm sure. Uh, I don't know. I was pretty disappointed this week. Okay. And Mike, what about you? I don't know. I, I wasn't quite as disappointed as Simon was. I agree. I think basically most of the scenes were pretty fun. So the fact that they weren't that weighty wasn't maybe as much of a problem for me. Um, I, I did think that for people who read the book, um, certain things are now so sort of out of joint with where they were in the book in relation to other stories and stuff that um, like all the stuff behind the, beyond the wall, if what I anticipate happens, happens that it'll it, it'll have seemed that very little happened beyond the wall. They sort of left and then they wandered yep. and then they got separated. And by this point, you don't even remember why they got separated. For some reason, he joined Quarren to look for something. You know, them. They dig up some arrowheads. Yeah, some arrowheads. I and I mean, know. again, people reading the book know the significance of that, but only barely. And then he gets separated again. How he got separated so easily seems incongruous. And then he meets Yvette and then he meets Yvette some more. And then they have some painful interactions and they wander into some other. It just the whole thing seems very meandering and very Igrit. Her name is Igrit. Get it right. Is it Igrit in the book too? I, there's so many people's mm-hmm. names. Um, anyway, I, I did think this felt a little episodic. I do agree that they're perhaps treading water a little bit, but... I don't know. I thought it was a fun episode, if not a particularly poignant episode. Okay. So I like this episode, and I thought it was good. So I will be in the Devil's Advocate chair this week, it seems. Um, But (laughs) I do feel fancy. I'm not going to lie. So, yeah, I I mean, I I hear what both of you are saying about it being a building episode and feeling more you know, more disjunct than some of the other episodes have. Um, I agree that there are a couple scenes that felt sort of out of place. I would, I would say that the scene with Danny in particular um, seemed like it should have happened last week and sh- this week she should have been at the house of the undying. Um, yeah. What did they just like, it was like the second karate kid movie. They pick up like eight seconds after they left off and follow her for like another three minutes like yeah. through a courtyard. Yeah. It was bizarre almost. Yeah, and I do think it, you know, it was significant to have someone make the point of why don't you just leave the dragons? I th- I think someone needed to say that. 
but I don't know that it needed to be Jorah, and I don't know that that needed to be her only scene in the episode. It seemed very much like stalling because Danny wouldn't stand around and wait and have you know wait for somebody to to show her where the House of the Undying is. She would charge after her dragons. Well, and and mm-hmm. like you said, it's important that somebody make that point, but it's also a bit of a painful. Those expository moments where they're like, well, maybe in Twister we won't go after the Twister. Like, we know she's going to get her dragons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> those moments are almost, those are painful conversations. You're just like, I hope yeah. this doesn't last long. That's the only thing. I, yeah. I hope well, Rambo well, goes to Burma now. Like, you know, it's... Yeah. They they kind of put themselves in a screwy place in terms of pacing. Yeah. Yeah. Almost as, almost as though they'd given themselves one too many episodes. I agree. They're all just... trying to put make them finish at the same time, sort of. Yeah, so like, because if they had just not shown Danny at all, this it would have been which, better. It, it would have been preferable, but still, you would have had, let's rush to the House of the Undying, and then nothing for a week, and then they're, they're rushing to the House of the Undying, which mm-hmm. wouldn't temporarily make any sense. Yeah, well, and then so. as far as that goes, um, there was also very little of of Jon Snow this week or north of the wall south of westeros and north of westeros felt more uh disconnected i would say but i you know i really i loved the scenes with Tyrion, and i i don't think you're necessarily giving those scenes enough credit simon um by, by saying yes well of course we got good Tyrion scenes but they're really good and they work very well they're very well written acted and and put together and i thought they were great and as far i thought that this is the first week that i really enjoyed talisa with Rob. Uh, uh, actually, but, I did too. I'm going to play the opposite of my traditional role and say, yeah, I thought she uh, was cool. And I liked the sex scene. And I thought that uh, as sort of somewhat melodramatic fantasy lines that preclude sex go, um, I hope it was a very beautiful bridge, is a pretty cool one. I was, I, I was a I don't fan know, was of that I the, one. Was I the only one who thought that like I was I was passing out in the middle of her never-ending story about her brother, who I don't care yes. about. Yes. I don't know. I thought, I, thought stories, I thought stories in Game of Thrones have gone on a lot longer than that one. I wasn't bothered by the length. Yeah, but it was coming from a character I don't care about, talking about a character we'll never meet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I I've, I read somewhere that somebody said, oh, this speech is full of foreshadowing, but that doesn't mean anything to me because I haven't read the books. Um, I didn't so, think it was particularly, yeah, that, like, deliberately expository, like... I don't know. I everybody oh, no, in fantasy it, it, has sort of some some sort of tale of woe backstory, and I didn't think it was. Yeah, I just didn't, didn't care about. Me. I didn't care about hearing hers. That that was one of two bits of sort of extended dialogue that bothered me this week. The other was, um, you know, I, I read this week that Carice Van Outen, who plays Melisandre, um, originally was supposed to audition for Cersei and couldn't because she's from elsewhere. So that I didn't work out timing wise. And this week I was wondering how that would have worked out if she'd been Cersei, because uh, one of the other low points to me was the, although it ends up being quite powerful because of what happens with, with uh, Shay uh, and Roz, the other one, uh, that stuff works. But the whole exchange between Tyrion and Cersei, where she's going on about cocks and how you, you can't thick right when you've got a cock. And I don't know, that didn't work for me. I thought it was fine. I thought it worked. And I think it fits her character incredibly well. And, uh, yeah, it absolutely worked for me. You know, I, again, I, I have to agree with Kate, and that didn't even trigger my R.R. Martin misogyny meter. I think that that kind of thing shows a certain degree of her immaturity. 
I don't think you're supposed to take that like as a viewer that you agree with that or disagree with that. I think it's a good indication of something she would probably say um, because despite being a sophisticated, she's also sort of a spoiled brat. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It, it's weird. Yeah, These are I all guess... things I normally have a problem with and would be happy to criticize, but none of that bothered me that much this week. This week to me felt like an episode where they fell into their groove a little bit. So maybe the fact that nothing was that weighty didn't stand out to me, uh, except the stuff beyond the wall, which we can talk about afterwards, but I've got several complaints about that, but shocking. Of course you do. I think the root of my discomfort with the Cersei stuff is I'm really longing for Tyrion to have someone to sort of spar with that he's at all on an even playing field with. Mm. Like, even before we get the reveal with Roz, it's clear that just Cersei cannot operate at his level even if she thinks she can. And, and that's that's sort of fun in a way, but it would be nice for him to have a real adversary to spend time oh, with. Oh, I think he does have a real adversary. It's Ooh. Stannis trying to, trying to, he's, I mean, they have, you know, Bronn leading the city guard, but he's pretty much all they have as far as strategy and trying to figure out how he's going to defend the, the city, King's Landing, against all of Stannis's troops. But I think what Simon means is, and I agree, is somebody to spar with verbally. Like Tyrion's oh, yeah, yeah. biggest strength is, and I think those are the scenes with Varys, to be honest. I think Varys serves that foil. He's not. Which was nice, yeah. but he's also been gone for like five episodes. Which is why when he's back this week, I've, I really appreciated him. And I liked the bit of honesty we got between the two of them. You'll have to refresh my memory about that. They're standing on the, the wall, and uh, Tyrion says, you're very smart. I like to think I'm smart. He says, yes, you're smart. Uh, it would be nice if we could speak <laughs> honestly. They have the closest thing that these characters are capable of having, to an honest and open conversation. And it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, uh, yeah. again, all of Tyrion's scenes were, were good. Um, it was mostly, I mean, and, and I would say the, the, the non-Tyrion scene that worked the best was probably Stannis and Davos. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because Stephen Delane and Liam Cunningham are two of the most sort of natural actors sort of sniffing around the Game of Thrones ensemble and watching them just sort of, you know, shoot the shit for five minutes was quite nice. More so than if you'd selected most any other two actors out of the cast. Yeah, well, and I think, I, think. I mean, I really like Davos, so it was nice to get a little more information about him. I've been kind of waiting for that. Um, and I think it also tells you a lot about, about Stannis as well. Cause we, it, again, we've spent several weeks without any real time with him. So I think it was important to, to do that as well this week. Well, and we've now spent even more time with no Melisandre, mm-hmm. which, which is, is an interesting, me. it's fine with you. I mean, I, that's an interesting decision considering, you know, what we now know that she's capable of mm-hmm. or her, viscous hellspawn she has a very bizarrely sort of spotty appearance in the book and um without giving anything away i just her presence or lack of presence is in no way in not in keeping with the book um although there is something interesting that seems to be absent from the book uh Tyrion puts in place this long-term mysterious plan that you don't understand until it happens in preparation for the big battle and it seems to be that they, they're just leaving that out, from what I can tell. Oh, no, they mentioned it this week. No, but they, did mention, they didn't mention uh, the thing that he was making. They just mentioned pig shit. Yes, but they, that's going to be the setup, and we'll get the reveal next week, I'm sure. 
Well, I, I assume I just took that as a reference to the wildfire. Um, yeah, but uh, let's let's stay oh. away from that though, because because of, of spoilers. Um, yeah, but no, because that is something you're right. That's a, that's a ch- change from the book. Um, for I would just also mention that they did um, with Melisandre. They did already establish that he was not going to take her when they. Yeah. So I, I thought yeah. that you know because of that I didn't really have an issue with her not being there. What I did have a little bit of an issue with not being there was, uh, let's just say Arya's third name is very different. And so while I thought what worked, it was in this episode worked, that it's, they took out a huge action set, set piece, basically. And so I was kind of waiting for that, and then it didn't happen. So as a book fan, that was a little bit of a disappointment to me. I didn't even realize that's right. So they're 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 to have that's all over and done with. That's interesting. Oh no, but that could still happen later, couldn't it? We'll have to talk afterwards. I don't well, want to yeah. give away too many spoilers, but that's interesting. So, yes. my question is: in you don't have to say who, but in the book, does she do something similar? Like, does she name Yakin? Yes, as the third name, and yeah, okay, and that's so how she that, manipulates that... him to to killing more than the three. Okay, got it. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, of course, not having read the books, all I could say when that happened was, Arya, you clever bitch. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was pretty great. That was, yeah. <laughs> I, again, in, in a book thing, I have to say that the Lord of Bones has made me officially incredibly disappointed with the Wildlings. Like I've mentioned this before, the Wildlings just look like buff, hot people that live in the Arctic. Period. That's it. Wait, wait, you think the you think the Lord of Bones is hot? No, he's not hot. But the Lord of Bones in the book was like <laughs> he was like described as like 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 uh, this almost bizarrely tall, skinny apparition covered in bones that clanked when he. This is just sort of a Viking-looking dude with like a Danzig mask, like. Covered it's... in bones that clinked when he walked. Ah, they sort of did. They're like trinkets. They're like something. Some like <laughs> they're like giant bones all over his chest. Come on, you're not disappointed. The Lord of Bones. He just no. looks like a guy in a coat with some like Tibetan like luck bones attached to him. He looks like some no. like douche that like some guy <laughs> from afraid... Newfoundland that spent uh, two my, years like, in Tibet. Which, That's him. Which Tibetan bones That's are you him. seeing? Because those are some pretty creepy. Uh, disturbingly uh, large Tibetan I, bones. I was so disappointed that I didn't even know who he was at first, and then when she said it, I was like, I was just crushed. I was so disappointed. I would like the wildlings are supposed to be no. these like pseudo fantasy savages. These are just like, these are just dudes who live up north. That's it. There's literally <laughs> they have cooler coats than other people. That's it. Like it's. I've been very disappointed. And you just imagine them working at some factory over the hill for fringe benefits? Exactly. They, what they look, they look like they look like blue collar guys. Guys I would like to hang out with. Like so, you know, maybe probably a large family, probably some credit problems. Like just like <laughs> you know, people just just guys. Like guys that, you know, maybe a car plant left their area and now they're out of work. So they harangue the wall. Okay, so I have I have two approaches to this that I'm not quite sure which one to take. So I'm going to do both of them, even though they contradict each other. First of all, of course they're just guys. They talk about in the book and in the show again and again how there really isn't that big of a difference between the Westerosi and and the and the uh the free people north of the wall, particularly in how how they uh 
both relate to the the walkers and uh they do look very different than the uh than the crows than the other people that are in that area of westeros so uh, yeah so so first of all they shouldn't be that different and second of all they they are very different in in their in their priorities in their social structure and there's there's a lot of differences there i feel like your visualization I'm just talking aesthetically. I'm not talking. I'm not like I. That's all I've mentioned. Aesthetically, they don't look. They look like people. They they're, don't look they are people. They, they don't look like they were described in the book. They in the book they're sort of described as like nomadic cave people, almost with some sort of loose social structure. Um, and that, I think what they look I think, like. I think the reason it was, it was people because it's you know really cold, so they're. I think it was too expensive to do that. To be honest, I think it was too expensive to costume that many people that elaborately. So they went with the guys from Flint, Michigan, kind of approach. Um, we, did, we just <laughs> we read very different descriptions in the book. I think because I guess they, so. they, or, or we generated they, them. They see, yeah, our, our imaginations, I guess, which just went different directions. The Lord of Bones looks like the lead fun. singer of the Sheepdogs. That's who he looks let's, like, the lead singer of the Sheepdogs. Let's dogs. move forward. Let's move to another section, uh, <laughs> rather than both of us just continuing to repeat ourselves. Um, let's talk about uh, let's talk about some Jamie and Brienne. That was another scene that I really enjoyed. Man, I was, th- this, I don't know, I was dying for, when, I mean, Jamie's a dick, and, you know, Brand's totally in the right for not, you know, taking the bait. But, man, I was really spoiling for that fight, too. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's safe to say without, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty clear exposition. I think you'll get something that will satisfy you at some point. Okay, good. Because, you know, I, I sort of want a whole season of the show just devoted to Game of Thrones fight. <laughs> fight Club, I just, yeah. I just want to... Yeah, I just want to see, like, each episode will be 30 minutes of characters trading insults and then 30 minutes of fighting. Mm-hmm. Well, the third season is definitely going to have a lot more action. I don't I don't know that there's a lot more fighting, per se. You know, it's not the kind of world where people often square off in a fair fight. Um, but there's definitely a lot more action, although that often just translates to a lot more awful things happening to people. <laughs> Yay, because it's that kind of world. Um Let's see. Although I have to say, this season's been kind of short on that so far. This is I've been getting a lot yeah. of promises. The third and fourth seasons are what really kick things into gear. Although it, it depends what, like, I think a book people have gotten used to the idea that it's, this isn't going to follow the same structure as the book did necessarily. Plot lines are going to move at different speeds and try to catch up with each other. And I've kind of lost track now of whether or not the stuff beyond the wall is ahead or behind of where it was in the book. Um, but uh, I think that makes it more interesting. I'm certainly more excited to see the third season because the third book is one of the third and fourth book happen at the same time. They're just you get half the plot lines in one and half the plot um, lines. That's in the other. actually that's says four and five. Is it four and five that do that? Yes. Ah, three is really long. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. The newest book was the other half of the of the last yes. book. That's right. Um, so so we can safely assume that. They're not going to do that in the same way, I think. Yeah, I would. I don't know. I would say they'll just lay that out as one huge plot line and make it two more conventional. Although there is something to be said for the fact that you know this season they did what they could to keep up with all the different plot lines. 
there are a lot more plot lines coming and very few getting removed, you know? So mm -hmm. by the fourth season, there are, there are I have I have no idea, but I would say there are well over two dozen plot lines in play. Um, and uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they juggle those. Yeah, we'll we'll have to see. Let's see the 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 last part of this episode. I guess there's two that we haven't really touched on. We haven't talked about Rob confronting Catelyn, and then we we have to talk about Theon as well and what's going on at Winterfell. Uh, which right, which way do you guys want to go? Well, let's talk about Catelyn because I'm sorry, I don't see any strategic advantage to letting Jamie go. There, there and <laughs> this is a change. Uh, and uh, yeah, I thought that was a total idiot move and she she should have not just been arrested but smacked. Yeah, I I didn't like the choice from a plotting. Like I didn't like it in the book, I didn't like it in the show. I it just never quite made sense to me. I I you know, I know why she did it, but to you know for her daughters, but like I I don't know, it seems a little weak sauce to me. Like I think they needed him to get free and I don't. I think that that was a little bit of a lazy device. Well, I feel like it makes a lot more sense in the book because of when it happens in the book, which is just a little bit later. And so, and the same thing is true with uh, with Rob and and Talisa. Uh, so that that also comes a little, just enough later that it makes far more character sense. As much as I did enjoy that scene this week, um, him going back on his vows uh, seemed for someone who was raised so strongly by Ned Stark, it seemed to happen a little too easy. Um, and so that, that just that little bit of, yeah, I wonder if you can guess what tiny little bit of news they get that would spark these two things to happen. But in the books, they happen just enough later that it, it makes sense for me. And it seems strange for them to change that here. I, I, I agree. I think it's interesting that they made this whole backstory. You know, in the book, all of this happens behind the scenes. And from what I remember in the book, at some point, he just sort of shows up with her and we get what happened in, in, in hindsight. Am I, am I right about that? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So um, all of this is stuff that they've created for the book, uh, for the show. And to be honest, I think, A, it, sh it shows that they needed to keep Rob in the picture more. In the book, he's not there aren't nearly this many scenes that come back to him this often. Yeah, he's not I mean, a point like, of view character, so we don't get exactly. his perspective. Um, so I think this was a good choice if they wanted to humanize him. And I think humanizing him is essential for, you know, for the development of the story. Um, so it, it's interesting that all of this is, super, is, is, is extraneous to the, to the book. Um, but actually, I think, to be honest, I, I think it's worked pretty well. I think it worked better than what they had in the book. I feel more interested in the characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I yeah I, it was a good move to to especially the biggest change that was a good move in as far as Rob's concerned is bringing Talisa more into the the forefront. Um, but let's talk about let's talk about Theon. I was uh, really looking forward to this episode for his storyline, uh, mostly because I was expecting more of a smackdown from Yara. Uh, towards him so i was really looking forward to him having to you know being hoisted by his petard after talking about how his sister was going to come triumphantly in with those troops uh and 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 she i thought it was a nice and interesting move to have her show much more concern for him than than is present in the book um i thought it was nice but it did take it from a more comic moment to a more dramatic moment i'm curious what you guys thought of that i kind of felt like they not having read the book again I kind of felt like they doled out, doled out enough sort of of the 
Theon is bad at his job uh, beat <laughs> at, at us for, for, the, for the last couple of episodes. So it was nice to have, I mean, I'm sure we'll get more of that very soon. It was nice to have a little break from that with her actually showing some familial concern. Uh, I thought that was sort of a nice sidestep. I, I I agree. I think, again, just like the last thing we talked about, it's another good example of them doing a little bit more to humanize people than the book did. Um, I find Theon throughout this period in the book was very one note, to be honest, and maybe a tiny bit confusingly or not believably so. Um, so actually, I think I like what they've done with him. Again, maybe a little bit more than what was done with him in the book. Um, and again, it's humanizing this character is going to play dividends when the character arc continues for sure. Mm-hmm. And of course we find out the boys are alive this week, which I figured was the case. I mean, I had, was 95% sure that was the case last week, given how the episode was edited and yeah, it's, it seems like many, many, many reasons, but it should also be noted uh, was, that they, it, they play that bad. You want to talk about how you don't see as much bad things happening they are dialing that back in the book. They mm-hmm. cut their heads off and stick them in tar and they're swarming with flies and it's pretty gruesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, honestly, I, you, you know, we didn't get to talk about this last week cause I wasn't there, but I, I shout out to them for especially the scoring of the scene last week when we do see the bodies, because that was what really, that, that gave me this horrible pit in the stomach feeling before I thought about it intellectually and thought, Oh wait, no, that's not that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really d- did have a great visceral impact. And this week, they, they, I, I like that they waited until the very end of the episode to say, yeah, no, you're right. But still, that was a that was a rough scene, wasn't it? It's saying to us. Mm-hmm. Well, um, and but yeah, like this week, I, I the one of the, the the weaknesses, I would actually say this um, in the episode was that closing, not really narration, but that that closing uh, dialogue with Osha and Maester Lewin, I mean, that was that was just right on the nose. I'll never tell them as we pan over to Brant. She's like five feet away from them. How does she expect they're not going to hear her? Yeah, there was a, a little bit of uh, sitcom spacing there for sure. Um, I can't I can't say that bothered me. I just assumed that, you know, it's I don't know. For some reason, that was that wasn't a conventional issue that bugged me. Fair enough. We're, we're, we're bothered by totally different things this week. <laughs> So having you guys are the book experts, uh, there has been a lot of uh, hype over next week. We get the we get the battle of the Blackwater. It's uh, it's going to be better than Evil by... Evil and the Super Bowl on the same day. But I don't want to overhype it. Right, and it's uh, the episode is written by Martin himself and directed by Neil Marshall. Ooh, it's going to be it's going to be an 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 a miasma of rape. I guess my question is, what are what are your guys' respective serious hopes for next week? And I guess the rest of the season. I mean, the, for for me, interestingly enough, I I, I guess I, I'm looking forward to next week, just like I'm looking forward to the finale as well, just because it's been... Uh, I've had, had a lot of fun with the show this year. I think it's even stronger than it was last year. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how it how they, you know, deliver these moments. But... I, I kind of, I, I, not kind of, I really doubt they're going to be able to match what was in my imagination. Uh, so I'm also sort of dreading it a little bit just because I don't want to be disappointed uh, and because they've been so clearly building to it all season. So I'm actually a little nervous about next week. Um, 
next week is going to be Imperial Walkers. It's going to be Lumberjacks on Fire. Um, it's going to be everything you can conjure up, plus Tyrion spontaneously grows and just kills everyone. It's going to be amazing. I'm very excited. Realistically, I have no idea. I don't know what they're capable of. There's so much that happens in the big battle, like, you know, uh, without giving anything away, even even without getting anything special away, just the conventional aspects of the battle are huge. Fortunately, when I think about them, they are broken up into places, and they hinted at that this week with, like, the Mudgate and stuff. Um, so certain things, when I think about them, will be fairly doable. There's one thing that I think Kate knows exactly what I'm talking about that I don't know, seems is just on a strangely large scale and seems probably unlikely. Uh, I don't know. To be honest, I don't know what to expect. If it's not awesome, um, then I'll be pretty surprised. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, it's in the public record that HBO gave them a budget bump to accommodate exactly this plot point yeah. or this, you know, extended sequence or whatever. And everybody has uh, made and we, uh, note of the fact that they're clearly dialing down other scenes to save budget throughout the series. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, we even got an example of that this week, I guess, with what happened with Arya, or didn't happen, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, and, and, and people keep teasing the whole House of the Undying thing, so I'm very curious about that. Yeah, that's. I think that's what I'm most looking forward to. I really um, enjoyed the strangeness of the House of the Undying in, in the book, so I have a feeling that's going to be in the finale. Uh, and so I feel like next week will be Blackwater, and the the finale will be House of the Undying. Do you All guys right, have any so final thoughts about this episode? Like, like I said, I, I I I you know it wasn't a bad episode. It had some highlights for sure, but it it felt like I I was checking my watch midway through if I'd been watching it in a movie theater, um, waiting for next week to come. Oh, and I guess we're gonna have one at least expensive viewing probably north of the wall next week as well. Well, they keep talking. I mean, there's not a spoiler. They keep talking about how they're going to meet up with Mance Raider and his mm, yes. his huge army of free folk, and I would imagine we'll at least get to see them next week, which might also potentially, hopefully, involve some extremely expensive uh, stuff. Actually, Mike, I heard that now they're just meeting up with an army of freak folk, which is actually just Animal Collective in the woods. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Yes. So, sorry. And then there's so so yeah that they found they found a way to cut down. And they have a fur pile. Yeah. Nice. That saves them a couple mil. So we can uh, look forward to next week. We'll uh, be back. So hopefully we'll have it up next Tuesday as well. Uh, speaking of up on Tuesday, Simon and I have our podcast that uh, will we'll be going up tomorrow. And you can find it uh, at soundonset.org. It's called The Televerse, where we talk about the rest of the week's TV. Um, and uh, Mike, you're still covering hot dogs? Um, no, hot dogs is over. I should. Hot dogs is over. Out. Yes, I'm going to have a retrospective of documentaries up soon, though, looking at where documentaries are after hot docs, a lot of uh, personal docs, and should be kind of interesting. Excellent. 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 And um, I'm on uh, on Twitter, at the Televerse. You are, Simon? I'm at Sucker Howell, but as I warned on this week's Televerse, you'll mostly hear lots of personal griping and uh, existential quandaries and not a lot of television. So. I don't know. If, if, with uh, everything going on in Montreal right now, I feel like you'd be inspired to tweet happy things. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm mostly just, I, I just want to set my house on fire. 
Good times. And on that cheery note, uh, thank you guys for listening. We uh, came in with an accordion version of the theme. And Simon, what what music are we using to take us out? Oh, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> I'll, you know what? I'll, I'll think of something very clever, and you'll get to see what's, what it is on the post itself when you check down on site. But right now, I'm all, I'm all clevered out. <laughs> okay, fair enough. We uh, will thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week.